The Old Testament reading is Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. And this is uh, the word of God. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you, and, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 8 for our New Testament reading and our sermon text. We'll look specifically this morning at verses 9 through 11, but let's read from verse 1 just to have more of the context in mind. So Romans chapter 8, I'll read verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. May the Lord bless his word to us uh, this morning. When you have opportunity to uh, share uh, your faith and hope uh, in the Lord Jesus uh, with someone who is not a believer, uh, what do you say? Um, Certainly you speak of the work of Jesus, uh, the Son of God who came into the world, who died on the cross to atone for our sins, who was raised from the dead on the third day. Surely you you speak to that person of what Jesus has done, that is the heart of the gospel, that is the gospel. Uh, You also perhaps uh, speak of the love of the Father, that it was out of his unfathomable love for sinners such as us that uh, the Father sent the Son into the world in the first place. And to speak of the Father's love, Uh, The Son's work of redemption, this is indeed a faithful presentation of the gospel. Uh, It's very much in line with what uh, we read in John 3, 16. "For, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so uh, the gospel message highlights uh, the work of the Father in sending the Son and the work of the Son in uh, dying for our sins. But when you speak of your faith in Christ, how often do you speak of the third person of the Holy Trinity, that is, the Spirit of God? Um, Speaking of the Holy Spirit, explaining his work may not be essential uh, to uh, the gospel message. However, in God's overall work of salvation, uh, just as important as the love of the Father for sinners and the work of a redemption of the Son for sinners, uh, just as important as, as that is the Holy Spirit's coming into the heart of sinners uh, to make his dwelling place there. Uh, just as there can be no salvation without the Father's love or the work of the Son, so there can be no salvation apart from the ministry of the Spirit and his abiding presence in the hearts of those who come to faith in Christ. And so the Spirit's work is essential, is vital to our salvation. But how well do we understand the work of the Spirit in the hearts of those who belong to Christ? Uh, It used to be said that um, the Holy Spirit was the forgotten member of the Trinity. But I think uh, today is probably more accurate to say that the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood uh, member of the Trinity. Uh, For many, many Christians, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is all about uh, extraordinary things such as uh, speaking in tongues, uh, gifts of healing, uh, direct revelation from God, uh, immediate divine guidance, ecstatic mystical experiences, and and for some at least, um, disorderly or even bizarre behavior in worship. And these are the fruits of the Spirit according uh, to some believers. But the Bible gives us a much, much different um, teaching uh, concerning the work of the Spirit and all of that. And in our passage this morning, as we hear from 
uh, Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about the Spirit of God who indwells in Christians. And as he tells us about the Spirit, uh, we learn a lot about what the Spirit does, how he operates, how he is active in the life of Christians. And so uh, this morning we're going to hear what Paul says about the Spirit of God who indwells in us and then uh, uh, draw from that how the Spirit is at work in us as those who belong to Christ. And so uh, we have two main uh, truths uh, from this passage. First of all, uh, the Holy Spirit who indwells in you as a Christian, the Holy Spirit who indwells in you is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Spirit of Christ. Secondly, the Holy Spirit who indwells in you is the spirit of life. And so we'll take those two uh, teachings one at a time. First of all, the Holy Spirit who indwells in you is the spirit of Christ. Uh, Just to remind ourselves of the the flow of thoughts in this part of Romans, uh, the major concern, uh, the driving uh, uh, theme of Romans chapter 8 is that of assurance. Uh, That as believers in Christ, we have every reason uh, to hope uh, and to know that our salvation is secure in him. Um, And uh, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this letter, uh, perhaps he knew that uh, we needed to hear this. Because if you remember, at the end of chapter 7, Paul gives us this very uh, sobering uh, description of the struggle that we continue to have as believers in Christ with the sin that indwells in us and with with the power of sin that is still present in us. But then, having described that at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul begins with this ringing declaration in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the theme of chapter 8 is that assurance that in Christ, though we struggle with sin, nevertheless, there is no condemnation for us. But as Paul goes on at the beginning of chapter 8, as he begins to expand on that wonderful truth that there's no condemnation for us in Christ, in verses 6 and 7, he ends up talking about the person who is not a Christian, the person who is outside of Christ. And that is, Paul says, that those who are not yet saved by the grace of God, for those who are still controlled by the sinful nature, uh, to use the apostles' words, uh, for those who are still in the flesh, he says they are hostile to God. Uh, They cannot submit to the law of God. Uh, They do not submit to the law of God. And they cannot please God. And for these reasons, those who are in the flesh are spiritually dead. But having said that, Paul again wants to reassure his readers, these uh, Christians in Rome, whom he takes to be uh, believers in Christ, genuine Christians. He wants to assure them that as those who belong to Christ, that that is not the case with them, that they are not in the flesh, but that they are indeed in the spirit. And so he says in verse nine, you, however, you Roman Christians are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And of course, we need to take that assurance for ourselves as well. We are reading this as Christians. You, however, as a believer, are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. And then Paul says, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Now it sounds as though Paul may be sowing seeds of doubt in the minds of his readers when he says, if in fact the Spirit of God indwells in you. However, what Paul is saying there is, Paul is leading his, his readers, he is leading us uh, to affirm uh, for ourselves the truth that he is trying uh, to, to communicate here. That yes, as believers in Christ, we do have the Spirit of God. As believers in Christ, we are not in the flesh, but we are in the Spirit. And that was the, the reaction that Paul was leading his, his readers to say when he said, if in fact the Spirit of God indwells in you. But that raises a question for you and me. Well, how do I know then? How do I know that the Spirit of God is in me? How can I affirm with my whole heart and say, yes, I am in the Spirit. I am not of the flesh. How can you know that you are in the Spirit, not of the flesh? Well, the answer to that question is found in the answer to this question. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death? Do you believe in Christ as your sovereign Lord? Do you belong to Jesus by faith? And if your answer to that question is yes, if your answer to that question is yes, I have entrusted myself to Christ. Yes, by the grace of God, I have recognized my sin. I have hated it. I've turned from it. Not perfectly, but by His grace, I have genuinely repented of my sin. Yes, I have come to Jesus for forgiveness, for eternal life. If that is your answer to that question, then the answer to the question, do you have the Spirit? Are you in the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? The answer is yes. It is yes. If you have come to Jesus for forgiveness, for salvation... If he is your Lord and Savior by faith, then necessarily you also have the Spirit. The Spirit abides in you. Every single person who comes to Christ by faith receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in the first place who enables you to see your need for a Savior, uh, to come to Jesus as your Savior. But once you have put your faith in Christ, then the Spirit who led you to Christ, He makes His home in your heart. He abides in you. He indwells in you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one can make a true profession of faith. No one, can, uh, no one can from the heart acknowledge that Jesus is Lord apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Galatians 3.2 says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer, of course, is that the Galatians received the Spirit not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. And that is the same for all Christians, that is true for all of us, that we, by faith in Christ, have received the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so, as a Christian, as one who belongs to Christ by faith, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. In fact, this uh, connection or this, this truth that if you have Christ as your Savior, you have the Spirit abiding in you. This is so, uh, these, are, these two truths go together so closely that Paul says in verse 9, 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Uh, We could put that uh, in the inverse. We could put it that way. Anyone who does belong to Christ by faith has the Spirit of God abiding in him. So one thing that this means is this. To have the Spirit of God indwelling in you, uh, to be Spirit-filled, this is not some kind of uh, second blessing. This is not some kind of extraordinary gift that God gives only to a few select elite Christians. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to every believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so as a believer in Christ, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit if your faith and hope are in Christ. But what I especially want you to see as we look at these verses this morning is how the Apostle Paul speaks about the Spirit who indwells in us, who indwells in every Christian. Notice how in verse 9, Paul first calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. And then he refers to the Spirit in verse 9 as the Spirit of Christ. So first he is the Spirit of God, and then he is the Spirit of Christ. Uh, To put this in more theological terminology, as some of you will be uh, familiar with, uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds uh, from the Father and from the Son. He is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. However, insofar as it is Christ who has accomplished our redemption by his life, suffering, death, and resurrection, insofar as it is Jesus, the Son of God, who has saved us by his work, the spirit here in these verses is particularly identified with, this, with Christ as the spirit of Christ. In fact, uh, that identity of the spirit with the Lord Jesus is so close that in verse 10, Paul virtually equates the spirit with Christ. Look at verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, he doesn't say the spirit He doesn't say the spirit of Christ. He just says, if Christ, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, the scriptures always maintain that vital distinction between the three persons of the triune Godhead, that they are distinct insofar as that they are three discrete separate persons but all equally God. Nevertheless, the scriptures will speak about Jesus and the Spirit in terms of their being one. The resurrected and glorified Jesus, the one who um, was raised from the dead uh, by the Spirit of God, in his resurrection, in his glorification, in his exaltation, as the, the one, as, as the God-man who has accomplished salvation and who has been raised from the dead, Jesus was so transformed by, so possessed by the Holy Spirit that the Bible sometimes speaks of Jesus as though he and the Spirit are one. For example, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so the Lord there is Jesus. This comes from the Lord, Jesus, who is the Spirit. First uh, Corinthians fifteen forty five. Thus it is written, the first man became a living being. The last Adam, that is Christ, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And by the way, that word spirit ought to be capitalized uh, in our Bibles in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. It's referring to the spirit of Christ. And here, too, in our passage in Romans, uh, the spirit of Christ is virtually, not Perfectly, but virtually identified with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Now, you might be asking, what is the point? Uh, is this just an um, abstract theological truth uh, for us to, to mull over, to ponder, that the risen Lord Jesus is one with his spirit? Uh, no, but there are two Major, very practical implications of this truth for us as Christians. First of all, because in their saving activity, Christ and the Spirit are one, it means that to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit is the very same thing as to be indwelled by Christ himself. Again, Paul says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, what Paul is saying there is, Christian, Christ is in you. Jesus lives in you. And Jesus taught this very same truth when he was speaking to his disciples in John chapter 14. In verses 16 and 17, he said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But then Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, I, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to you and me, I will be with you by my spirit. I will be in you by my spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, of course, physically, bodily, Jesus is not with us. He is at the right hand of God the Father, He is in heaven. He occupies a place somewhere in this creation. He is the Lord of lords, King of kings. He is reigning over all things from there. That is physically, bodily, and yet by His Spirit. He is with you. He is in you just as truly, just as really as Jesus was with His disciples during His earthly ministry. And just as Jesus was with his disciples during his earthly ministry in the, in the fullness of his divine love for them. So Jesus is with you in the fullness of his divine love for you, care for you as one who belongs to him. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is not only with you, but he is in you. He is in you to give you his life to fill you with his joy, to give you his peace and his comfort and his hope through all the sufferings, through all the tribulations of this life. And so as your Savior, Jesus is not only Christ for you, he is Christ for you because he died for you, he lived for you, but he is Christ in you. 
He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this this virtual identification between Christ and the Spirit also uh, means this. It means that the work of the Spirit in you, because He is the Spirit of Christ, because it is Christ in you, working in you, His work in you is to conform you, to mold you, to shape you, to be more and more like Jesus. Until one day you are fully conformed to the image of the Son of God. That's what Paul will go on to tell us later in chapter 8, is the goal of our salvation. He says in 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so when we read our Bibles and we read the Gospels, and we see in the pages of the Gospels, all that is revealed there to us of the, of the glory of Christ and his, his character, his character as a one who is perfectly devoted to his heavenly father, a one who is perfect in righteousness, uh, the character of Christ as one who was perfect in his love for his neighbor, who was truly, truly humble, um, the joy that he had in knowing and serving his father. Uh, this is the same character that the spirit is forming in you as he abides in you because he is the spirit of Christ. And he's not only the spirit of Christ, but the Holy Spirit who abides in you is also the spirit of life. And that's the second truth that we'll um, look at from these verses. The Holy Spirit who indwells in you is the spirit of life, of life. Let's listen again to what Paul says in verse 10. He says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. He says the body is dead because of sin. Uh, this, this refers to the physical death that awaits each one of us at the end of our lives. Um, unless Jesus comes soon, each one of us, faces the inevitability that we will die. We must die. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that if Jesus is to come before I die, that, that window is shrinking every day. Uh, Jesus, come quickly, really quickly. Of course, at death, as Christians, our, our souls go to be with Christ in glory. We praise God for that. We have uh, hope for ourselves, for our loved ones who die in Christ, that we will be with Christ. We will live with him in glory. Nevertheless, death is a real separation of the body from the soul. And the soul, or the body rather, at death remains lifeless in the grave in which we are buried. Until that time when Jesus comes again. And death is so much a part of our world, it's almost, uh, almost impossible to fathom what this world would be like without death. Um, it is so much a part of our experience in this post-fall world. But of course, that was never God's purposes for us at creation. We die because of sin. It is because of our sin that we die. Paul says here, the body is dead because of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages, the wages of sin is death. But although we must die, and not only that, 
But although we must suffer all the attendant miseries of death, in this life we, we experience the, the weakening, the deterioration of our bodies, sickness, disease. We experience the suffering, the pain, the sorrow of losing a loved one. But despite all of that, despite living in this world that is enshrouded with this shadow of death, nevertheless, the Spirit of Christ who indwells in us gives us life. And that life is eternal life. It is spiritual life. It is life that we possess now. But that will be ours in fullness and completion of beyond the grave. And Paul says in verse 10 that the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Uh, just as the judgment of God was brought down upon us because of our sin, and that judgment is death. So because of the obedience of Christ, because of the righteousness of Christ, now what has come down to us from God is this gift of life, of spiritual life. And the life that these verses are especially talking about is the life that will be ours on the day of resurrection. That is the focus of these verses, the life that will be ours on that great day. When Jesus comes again and calls us out from our graves. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. There's the resurrection of Christ. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. That's our resurrection. And so just as Jesus by his almighty power or as, as God, by his almighty power, raised up Jesus from the grave. Because, that, because the spirit of, of the God who raised Jesus from the grave lives in us, then we can have the most absolute assurance that God will also raise up you and me from our grave on the day of our resurrection. And he will do that by the life-giving power of his spirit. But even now, even now, though though our, the focus here is on that resurrection day, we still have this life in us. Because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we are alive to God and His righteousness. We are spiritually alive. We have been raised up with Jesus already. And so we already possess in us now that same life that will be ours in fullness on that day of resurrection. And so that is our hope the resurrection of our bodies. And the gift that we have is that, that life is already in us. Already we have been raised with Jesus. We live in Christ. But, but, Paul reminds us that that day has not yet come of, the, the, of our resurrection. The day has not yet arrived. Notice how he says in verse 10, notice how he uses the, the present tense when he says that our bodies are dead because of sin. He doesn't say, the body will be dead because of sin. But he says the body is dead because of sin. But that speaks to the fact that even now, even as we live, the future death of our bodies is already set in motion. Even, we, are, we are dying even as we live. We are like the, um, if you saw the movie Dead Man Walking, we are like the, the prisoner executed or condemned to be executed, who is led out of his prison cell to the execution chambers and while he's being led to uh, the place where he will be put to death, the guard uh, calls out, dead man walking. Our, our death is so inevitable, it's coming so inexorable, 
that we are dead even as we live. The body is dead because of sin. And in the same way, Paul refers to our bodies in verse 11 as our mortal bodies. Uh, These are mortal bodies. As long as we live in this world, we have bodies uh, that are uh, susceptible uh, to sickness, to disease, to death. And we suffer also all of the miseries that come with death in this world. The afflictions, the frustrations, the hardship of living in a world that is under this curse of God, the curse of death. And it's all, of course, because of sin. But it is precisely in the midst of this suffering that we experience in this world. It is, it is exactly in, it is precisely in the face of our own mortality that we inhabit these bodies of death. It is in this that we possess the life that the Holy Spirit gives us. Uh, later in this chapter, in the verses that we'll look at, uh, Lord willing, next week, uh, Paul makes uh, the connection between the Spirit of God abiding in us in our suffering in this world. This is the connection I, I hope that you'll see this morning, that this life that Christ gives us, this resurrection life that we possess now, by which we live now, we experience this life only as we suffer in this world, only as we inhabit these bodies that must die. But look in verse 14. Paul says that we are led by the Spirit of God. This is chapter 8, verse 14. And then in verse 15, he says that we have received the Spirit of adoption. So Paul is speaking to us about this gift of the Spirit. He is the Spirit of adoption. Uh, We are the children of God. But then he says in verse 17, If children, if children, and we are children because of the spirit of adoption, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so to possess this gift of the life-giving Holy Spirit, to possess this gift of the newness of life in the Spirit who has raised us from death to life. This is a call to suffer with Christ in this life. But we suffer with Christ in this world as those who have already been raised with Christ. Later in chapter 8, Paul speaks of the various ways that we suffer in this world, the various ways that we may Face death in this world. He speaks of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. Paul then asks this question. He says, can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer, of course, is no. He says in verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say we are more than conquerors despite all of these things. But he says, we are more than conquerors in all these things. In all these things. In other words, the victorious, the triumphant resurrection life that you and I possess right now by the Spirit. This life makes us conquerors precisely in the things that we suffer in this world and that lead to our death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, for we, who are, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. What is the life of Jesus? It is the very same thing as the life that the Spirit gives us. 
And how is that shown forth? It is shown forth, it is manifested in these mortal bodies, even as we are being given over to death for the sake of Jesus. And one thing that this means for you as a Christian, as you suffer in this world, is that your suffering is never, never an indication or a sign that God has somehow abandoned you or forgotten you or that he is no longer blessing you. But rather, it is as you suffer, it is as death slowly closes in on you that the Holy Spirit causes this life of Christ to abound in you. And also that eternal life that is yours in the midst of suffering in this world This is the assurance that you have of your ultimate hope as a Christian. And this is your hope as a Christian. We all hope for a long, healthy, prosperous, uh, enjoyable life. And sometimes God blesses us with all of those things. But that is not your hope as a Christian. Your hope is this, that on the day that Jesus returns to earth, he will raise you up in a body not just that will live a long time or be free from disease, but he will raise you up in a body that is immortal, that will live forever, that is imperishable, that is impervious to any kind of disease or sickness or weakening. That is the hope that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ, that one day in the resurrection, your victory over suffering and sin and death will be complete forever and ever. And because God has given you the spirit abide in you, the spirit who gives you life, even in the midst of suffering, even in the face of death, that spirit is the assurance that that hope is a true hope, that God will one day raise you from death to life. And so the Holy Spirit who lives in you because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is both the spirit of Christ and he is the spirit of life. Let's pray.